hope you get the impression we're about to launch something here, maybe. Uh, I remember a, a, a number of years ago, actually, I, uh, it's been quite a while back, is back when they were still doing the space shuttle, and, and uh, I, had, I drove down, actually, for my grandfather's funeral down to Florida, and I remember I was on my way back home uh, the day I left, and, and also I noticed that all, all along the sides of the road, the cars had all pulled out, and people were out of their cars, and, and I, you know, I'd be kind of wrapped up in, in the family things that were going on with uh, the death of my grandfather, so I really hadn't been watched news or pay attention to anything, and, so I thought, well, I wonder what the deal is. So I pulled over, too, just out of curiosity, and, and it was one of the launching of the space shuttles. And even though I was miles away, the, the power, the enormous power just was, uh, uh, you know, the, the sound, even that far away, was pretty amazing, pretty, pretty uh, uh, impactful. And, and that really will fit into, as you'll see in a little bit, to uh, what we're launching and what we're beginning to talk about this morning uh, but I want to start off this morning uh, telling, whoops, got ahead of myself, uh, why haven't you watched a story? I don't know, if you, how many of you know who, who when I say uh, Penn Gillette, you know, who know that, who that is? Penn and Teller, you've seen the magician uh, act, they've been around for, for a long time, just uh, uh, quite a team, he, uh, you know, Teller doesn't say anything, he's a little small guy, Penn's a great big, great big husky guy, less husky these days, he's lost a bunch of weight, but he does a uh, uh, blog on a regular basis, and and actually, uh, uh, several years ago, it's maybe I can't remember, maybe four or five years ago, my son Josh said, "Hey, Dad, have you seen uh, Pin Gillette's this blog that he did?" And I said, "No." And I said, uh, "I'd like to check it out." Now, here, here's my, here's my son's description of, of Pin, and you may know this as well. He is a hardcore atheist. I mean, no no bones about it. He says he does not believe there's a God. Does doesn't, you know, religion has no, you know, he just really doesn't have uh, any desire to, to jump into the, uh, this faith thing or anything, which makes what he has to say in this particular blog very interesting. Should be sound. There we go. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, for the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. We had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show, and I liked it. I wanted, he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, 
uh, Psalms, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man that gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Pretty powerful, huh? You know, the statement, how much you got to hate somebody if you really believe there is such a place as, as, and such a thing as eternal life and, and right relationship with God. How much do you have to hate someone to not share that? Just uh, coming from someone who says, I don't believe any of it, but this is a good guy because he, he cared about me. And it's, it's such a powerful thing, and, and that's what we'll be talking about. And and what we'll be wrapping uh, the, the message on as we move into a new series right now uh, that, that is called Digging the Grave. And to begin this morning, I want to I tell about three friends of mine, three, three men that I know 
and uh, their story, which they shared with me. First one is, his name is Bob, and Bob's background, Bob, I don't believe he ever got to meet his birth father, ever knew him. Uh, There were lots of men in his life. In fact, it was a regular thing for Bob to come home from school as a young boy and find that a a new man had moved into his house while he was away at school that day. This was just part of life for Bob. Uh, one day he came home, and a new man was there, and, and eventually that man became uh, his stepfather. His mother married him. And, you know, there, there, are, there have, are great stepfathers. There are men and, and stepmothers who have moved into the lives of children and, and have taken them on as their own. And, and you, know, you hear the testimonies. You hear the stories of graduation of, you know, uh, you know, here's my stepdad who just changed my world, and there are really wonderful stepparents. Bob's stepfather was not one of them. He was cruel. Uh, he made no bones about it that he did not like Bob, that he wished he wasn't around. Uh, in fact, he, he, on a regular basis, told Bob how worthless he was, how really he was just taking up space on the planet that somebody else much more worthy should have. That was Bob's childhood. And, and at a time when uh, it is so important to have a father figure in your life, uh, that was Bob's father figure. And, and the result was, uh, well, just out of uh, self-preservation, Bob, even as a, as a very young boy, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, began to be, spend uh, as much time away from home as possible, which eventually led him into trouble, which eventually led Paul, Bob, the direction he was going was uh, probably life in prison, if not death, until he came face to face with the power. Jack was very different in many respects from Bob. Uh, Jack had a philosophy, a desire, a goal for life, and that was I'm going to fit as much fun and partying in life as I possibly can. That was, that was his life. He, you know, it was every day was how, how, can I, how can I have fun today? How can I enjoy pleasure? How can I get wasted? Whatever. And that, that was his life. That was a daily routine for him. Uh, Jack eventually met uh, a, a girl named Judy. She had the same philosophy of life, so together they seemed like they'd be a great team. They got married had a great party at their marriage, and then moved right into that as a married couple, into that scene. The reality is that that doesn't make for a very good marriage. And it wasn't until long until their marriage was miserable and, and this constant search for the next party, the next high, the next all those things wasn't working their lives were miserable, and it looked like their marriage wasn't going to make it, and this philosophy of life that Jack had certainly was turning out to be empty, and he didn't know what to do about it until he came face-to-face with the power. Pete's story was very different. Pete, as a young boy. He had two brothers. Uh, one of his brothers was a twin. As a young boy, their mother died of, of cancer, and so they were thrust into this world of 
with no female figure, no female love, no female encouragement and comfort and all the things that, that a, this little, a little boy needs. Pete and, and his brothers vied hard for their dad's attention and their dad's affection, but he was walking through so many things because of the loss of his wife, and he really didn't have much to give, and so, so it was very tough. And then, then about uh, 11, 12 years old, uh, Pete's twin brother which seemed to started showing signs of just some real disturbing things, emotional crisis. Maybe it was what they had walked through at the loss of their mother, but just there, there were some of these, these episodes where he just really got violent and, and things got hard. And, and when they were about 13 years old, and this had become a regular occurrence, P, uh, Pete's brother and his father would get in these arguments. And one night they were having one of those arguments. And by the time they ended, it ended, Pete's father, his last remaining adult in his family, was laying in a pool of blood on the floor and he died there. kind of a person comes out of that kind of a background. Pete's brother ended up in institutions, still there to this day, in and out of institutions. Pete's life world had fallen apart. It seemed like there was nothing for him until he came face to face with the towel. In AD 58, a guy by the name of Paul, and you remember, we've talked about Paul. He has his own story. We'll get into a little bit of it in a moment. But this guy named Paul, just a few years prior to that, had made it his own personal ambition. We've talked about this. His goal of life to somehow rid the world of this new thing, this new religion called Christianity. The way, actually, as it was called back in those days. He, If he had to do it single-handedly, and he was among this group of individuals called the Pharisees, <coughs> he would put a stop to it. He stood and probably organized the stoning to death of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. He got permission to go and begin to pull people who claimed to be Christians or even had the rumor of being followers of that man, Jesus Christ, out of their homes. He took separated children from families. He called for the death of, of every Christian if that's what it took to stamp out this thing. And uh, that was his goal. That's what he was doing with life until he came face to face with the power. And suddenly everything changed and, and he became the strongest voice. In fact, most of our New Testament, the second part of the Bible, is written by this guy as he became a follower of Jesus Christ after meeting the resurrected Christ face to face. We're going to study, we're going to spend some time in a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. It starts off with these words, to those that are loved by God. So he's writing to these people, and it's really interesting. Back in that day, you know, if you go to Rome today, and if you get up on a hill and, and look over the horizon, you're going to th see thousands of crosses. That day and age, that never would have been the expectation. This, it was not the seat of Christianity. It was the seat of anything else. Uh, the Romans had, had made it very clear. They'd done everything they could to help stamp out Christianity. And Paul began to share his newfound faith, and people came to Christ. And, and then in this, the city of Rome, there was at that time a small group of, of excuse me, believers, followers of Christ. And so Paul wrote a letter to them. And we're going to spend some time looking at 
at one section of that letter, chapter 6 and chapter 7. We won't get into that today, but I'm giving you a heads up so you can begin to read it ahead and get a perspective. In fact, what I would say is start in chapter 1 and read all the way through the book of Romans. Uh, We'll focus in on these two chapters. But to start this morning, I want to start in chapter 1, verse 16. Now, if you saw the sign out there, it said chapter 1, verse 15. That's because I sent Dale the wrong message this week, and the wrong verse. And I looked at that and I thought, is that what I said? And look, sure enough, it's exactly what I told him. But verse 16 is actually what we're looking at. As we look at this launching pad, this, this beginning point of this tremendous power that changed Paul's life. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And in, and in fact, change the whole world. Paul writes in, in, in Romans 1, chapter, six, chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, some of you have heard, some of you old-timers, you remember the name at least, Ty Cobb, uh, just a great professional bat, baseball player, ju- amazing career, uh, in, in his, he, he paid, played over 3,000 games. Four years of, of his uh, professional baseball career, he had a batting average consistently of over 400. In fact, his whole career average was uh, 367. That's a pretty amazing accomplishment if you follow baseball at all. Uh, in, in his career baseball, he hit over 4,000 times. Just an amazing, amazing athlete. Later in his years... This very athletic, strong, uh, um, amazing individual got cancer. And, and all that strength and the health that had been so much an assumption in his life slowly ebbed away. And, and this was back in the days when we didn't have the things we do, do nowadays that are so successful in fighting cancer. And, and so the time came where, where Ty Cobb found himself on, in his bed very near death. Time was short. And everyone knew it. And Ty had a friend who, who, from Ty's perspective, was a, quote, religious man. Uh, and, and this guy came to see Ty just a few days before he died. And he said, Ty, I, I, I want to share something with you that I think is so important. And, and I've been waiting and I've been holding back and probably shouldn't have, but, but I need to tell you today while there's opportunity. And, and his friend shared with him about how much God loved Ty and that, that this God who loved Ty, had actually stepped into our world, taken, taken on flesh and blood. And, and he did that because he wanted to make it possible for everyone in all of humanity to have the opportunity to have a restored relationship with God. Sin had broken that relationship. Sin, as I've said before, is, is simply doing something contrary to the will of God for your life. That's what sin is, you know. We, we think sin and we, we come up with these horrendous perspectives, oh, this is what sin is, but really, even making a decision to go in a direction in my life that I know is not the direction wants to go, God wants me to go, that's sin. So all of us are a sinner. Paul will say this in this book. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one good. You know, I, I, I get a kick out of uh, a pen as he's saying, you know, he's a very good man, and, and he probably would have said, no, I'm not but I've had this opportunity because the reason God stepped into our world and took on the title of God the Son, became flesh and blood, was so that He could die in our place, pay the penalty of our sins, so God could offer to us as a gift forgiveness. And so that's what Ty's friend told him in that day. 
I accepted that gift and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And really interesting because he only had a few days to live. He couldn't. He was bedridden. He wasn't going to get out of bed. But almost immediately, once he understood, his, he suddenly had this deep concern for his friends, people that he'd known all his life. They needed to know this too. And, and so he asked his Christian friend, he said, I can't do this, obviously, but will you make sure that our friends, that the people that have followed my career, the people that, that are my buddies that played baseball with me, would you make sure that they get this message? And here's the message he asked them to tell. He said, you tell the boys, I'm sorry that it was the last part of the ninth that I came to know Christ. I wish it had taken place in the first half of the first. That's a baseball player saying, you know what, guys? Something has happened to me, and I regret that it didn't happen before, but at least it happened, and don't wait. Just a, a simple man saying, there's some kind of a power that I've been introduced to that has made such a difference that you, as my friends, as my brothers, tell the boys they need to know Jesus Christ. This is a big deal we're talking about here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. That word's an interesting word. Uh, Paul talks about this, as he, and we're going to get into it more, but even as he open up the, opens up this book, and if you have it open, look back to verse 1, because he talks about something that happened to his life, and, and that thing that came into his life uh, made him a servant of Jesus Christ. That, that word means, I, I, I have made the result of this power, and the impact it had in my life is, I have turned my life totally over to Christ. I am His to do whatever He wants with. This has made such a big change in my life. <clears throat> I have been set apart by, as an apostle. I'm the messenger. I'm one of God's messengers. I want everyone to know about this power. And, and this set apart word is really interesting because it actually means this thing so shook up my world that it knocked me off kilter. It knocked me, changed my horizon. It knocked me off the foundations of my life. Paul's saying this thing that came into my life changed everything. My perspective about life, my goals, my daily desires, my relationships, it changed it all. It is such a huge, huge thing. It changed the trajectory of my life. That's a pretty, big, pretty powerful thing, pretty big thing. The word power itself is, is comes from the Greek word dunamis, it's we, make, we, we create our English word dynamite from it. And, and that may uh, kind of lead you to, okay, well, this is explosive and damaging. And, you know, after the dynamite's done its job, uh, uh, there's a lot of rubble and, and rocks and whatever left behind. <coughs> that is misleading because actually the, the Greek word talks about uh, an inherent power. Dunamis, this, he's saying the power that I'm talking about has an inherent power to it. You know, I was trying to figure out an analogy. I came up with one that's probably way too simplistic. And, and, uh, but let me, I'll throw it out here. Let's say I, I say to, to you as you're leaving today, hey, you know, here's, here's my goal for you today. I want you to go out, and I want you to go 100 miles an hour. Just to, to make it more exciting for some of you, I say, I'll even loan you my uh, motorcycle to do it. Now, some of you are going to say, yeah, no thanks, but... Uh, but here's the reality in that statement. The reality in that statement is unless you get something else to help you, 
you're not going 100 miles an hour. I don't care how fast you are. You may be a whole lot faster than me, but you're not going to be running 100 miles an hour. It's not inherent within you. That power is not there. You've got to have something else to help you make it. Now, I, if I say to you, you know, I, I bought some uh, water softener salt. Would you come home today because they're 40-pound bags and, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. I'd like to have you, most of you could do that. You can handle it. Inherent within you is the power to do that. Well, Paul says this power inherent within itself has all you need. In fact, it has within it the power to change everything, to create a whole new horizon, to, to change the trajectory of your life just like it did to Paul. And so he says, I am not ashamed of this. I do. This is so important, so needed, so powerful that, that I will not keep it to myself. I will not keep it to myself. And, and when we get into Romans chapter 6 and 7 in the weeks ahead, he's going to take us in a direction that I think a lot of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we have missed this. Because here's the way we think of this whole discussion. We, we talk about it, and we see he goes on and says, for it's the power of salvation. So we hear that term salvation, we hear the term gospel, the good news. That's what that word means. And, and we, we narrow it, we box it into this moment of decision that hopefully everyone in this room has made to accept the gift of forgiveness that God's offering. And so that's salvation. We say, well, that's what he's talking about. He's saying that, you know, the power he's talking about is the power of uh, having that opportunity, I know, I come to the realization, okay, yeah, man, I messed up. I have definitely made choices that would not be God's will for me. And now I understand that that has separated me. That's broken my relationship. And he's offering because of what Christ did on the cross to forgive that and restore the relationship. And in fact, the relationship will go on forever. And, and so we think of it, we think of that word in terms of that moment of decision way back when, which is part of it. But the problem is, so often, that's where we limit in our own walk, relationship, day-to-day struggle, and, and, and the things we walk through. We limit that power to that moment. And we say kind of things like, boy, I'm sure glad I know that I'm saved, salvation. I know where I'm going someday, and man, somehow I just got to gut it out in between. And that is what we're going to find out is totally wrong thinking according to chapter 6 and 7 as we dig into it together. Because that power, yeah, it has all the power needed to save Bob and Jack and Pete from their background and their baggage, the things that, that the enemy and life itself meant to destroy them. The power is within that salvation to save them from us and from you. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your story is. <laughs> Within this is the power to save you from it. Within this power, this gospel, this good news, is the power to save us from our harmful and, and sinful past decisions, the things that didn't come into our life based on no decision of our own just because of the family we were born in or the environment, but the things that I actually chose to do. I decided that I wanted to do that even though I knew it was the wrong thing to do, and yet this can save me even from those things. 
has the power to save us from even our present battles, addictions, decisions. That's the power to save us from ourselves. And that's where Paul wants to take us because so often we we take that moment where we made the decision to accept the gift of forgiveness and salvation and then we look for eternity and we say, boy, I'll be glad when that day, day happens and then the whole in-between section is a picture of us Somehow I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to fight these battles. I'm going to dig through this. I'm going to make this work. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. The power we're talking about, salvation we're talking about, is supposed to affect every single day of our life. It's supposed to change everything. The gospel is not about that moment, just that moment when you accepted that gift. It's about a life that understands that something has changed within me that if I will allow it to work in my life, I will never, ever be the same. Peter says, this power has such an impact that you might be in the midst of grief. Tremendous loss of, of, of whatever kind, and yet in the midst of that grief, because of the impact of this power, there is this inward joy. And, and we're saying, how can that be? It, it can, but... So much of us don't experience it because we've left all the power back to that moment in the past and someday in the future, in the in-between time, it's up to us to fight the battle. And it's not. And that's what we're going to talk about in the days ahead. What God wants you and I to know is the moment we made that decision, God presented a power. And here's, you know, Here's the way we read this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who really works hard. Everyone who believes. That's our problem. We believe God for that forgiveness back at that point in time. We believe God for our eternity, and we don't believe in the in-between time. We think it's up to us, and it's not. So we're going to explore this together. So I encourage you, start reading ahead. Because here's what God says about you and me. The moment you accepted the good news and that power entered into your life, everything changed. In fact, you became a new creation. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for this important beginning. I, I pray we've laid a good <laughs> launching platform. Because what we're talking about in the weeks ahead is extremely important. So many of us, so many of us are, are living this Christian life. It's a, it's a drudgery. It's a, this uphill climb. It's a struggle. It's this battle. It's, we're just hoping somehow to make it to that day that's called eternity, whatever that means. And that is not what you have in Thank for the opportunity for us to think this through because, Lord, we want to dig the grave. That, that old person that still seems to be haunting us, man, it is time to bury him. So guide us in the days ahead. And even today, Lord, even today, encourage our hearts with the truth of your word that this power is ours, that it's our opportunity because of your dear heart for us. We pray these things in your son's name.